again to another edition of Political Profundity with John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Hi. Today in the political world, we're going to be talking about the impeachment hearings, which have been going on in Congress for the past two weeks. Um, and we're going to be discussing whether we think really that uh, there has been a case made. Um, and then we're going to go to the Gallagher case, um, the former Navy, or I guess a current Navy SEAL, um, and what happened with Donald Trump and the Navy Secretary um, over the past week or so. And then we're going to jump to Hong Kong and talk about um, the changes there, the election, um, and really what uh, the future might hold for that city. Um, But Karen, uh, you know, We've been talking again, like we said last week in the podcast, we've been talking about impeachment for, you know, several years now. Um, The Ukraine issue has come up um, in the past two months. It's really taken off Uh, two weeks of public hearings, 12 people, um, you know, Fiona Hill, Gordon Sondland. Um, I guess maybe we're the biggest two that really, really made a a case, although everyone else also did. did the Democrats actually effectively make their case, Karen? I'd say yes, um, with a few bumps along the way, but yes, they did. Look, you, you've heard in the last two weeks from you know veteran diplomatic public servants who, let's not forget, some of these guys went to work for Donald Trump, so they are not the never-Trumpers or evil liberal snowflakes or whatever kind of label Trump supporters want to put on them. You know, people like George Kent, people like Bill Taylor, or, you know, or, or there are people like Fiona Hill or Maria Ivanovich, people who are long-term public servants who we never even heard of until now. And that's because they were doing their jobs in an ethical, responsible, orderly fashion. So they all basically testified, more or less, that Trump wanted dirt on Joe Biden because he saw him as the front runner for the Democrats who could beat him win those, you know, coveted swing states that Hillary Clinton, although I think we all know why some elements were involved in her losing them, but Hillary Clinton couldn't manage to win in 2016. Hey, um, can you know, I... Can I play the uh, Republican, um, uh, I guess, the counterpoint um, and, and ask you specifically where a lot of people will say um, the president um, is the one that makes foreign policy. The president is the commander in chief. So he has the ability to do all kinds of different things. Um, and, and, you know, that's really the case that the Republicans are making here. Um, why does that not seem to make sense to you? Because I can, you know, you know give you my two cents on it, but... Um, you know, I'll, I'll let you do it. It doesn't hold water, John, because Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about corruption. He didn't give two craps about it when he first got inaugurated. He didn't bring it up in 2017. He didn't bring it up in 2016 when he was running for this job. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't on his mind last year either. It's only when Joe Biden put his name into the ring, was going to run, and all of a sudden, and I'm, you know, we could talk about, you know, Vice President Biden and some of the... Yeah, the drawbacks with him as a candidate. But, you know, Ukraine is not one of them. And so this just all of a sudden popped up because, again, polls started showing Biden. I mean, I'm cutting to the chase here. Agree with me or not. And that includes people listening to this podcast. But 
when polls started showing Biden doing well enough to beat Trump across the electoral map for 2020, all of a sudden it seems like Trump and his camp got very nervous. And of course, we know about the phone call the day after Robert Mueller testified, which, again, I don't think that was any accident either. Um, maybe because Trump thought he was home free after Mueller really didn't overwhelm with his testimony and the whole matter with Russian interference in our election, it, it very complicated, you know, set of facts. And, and it's not that easy to always digest or understand, um, even for people who are experts at it. Right. Um, but, you know, I think we've, we've heard, you know, people listening to the, the hearings last week and the week before, again, heard every single one of the people who testified pretty much, including, might I add, Donald Trump's own EU ambassador, Gordon Sundland, right? The guy who paid a million dollars to Trump's campaign right. and then got this job in return. Never mind that he has absolutely no qualifications or skills. And on another little sidebar, may I add, you know, when we get a decent human being back in that office, that that the entire process of how ambassadors are picked, and I don't care who the president is, that has got to change. It can no longer be people who are simply ponying up several million dollars, but have absolutely no experience or no real interest in, in truly having better diplomatic relations with the specific country that they're, you know, supposed to be doing business with as a, as an official ambassador. So at any rate, I, you know, I, I just think we've seen enough evidence here about what Trump wanted and it wasn't because he really gave two hoots about the, you know, Ukrainian people. Um, and let's not forget the country uh, with which Ukraine is basically at war at, and that's its neighbor, Russia, which invaded the Crimea five years ago to take it back over, yeah, yeah. I guess, what would be considered a land dispute. So, uh, you know, look, John, when all of this started a few years ago, like most people, I was as skeptical as anybody. You know, then the evidence, not only of Russian interference on Trump's behalf, but now, you know, him calling the new president of, of Ukraine and basically making the foreign aid contingent on whether or not an investigation is done into Joe Biden. Really? I don't recall past presidents doing that, even ones, you know, who were not great at their job. So, all of this, I'm sorry to say, it's thanks to high heaven. Uh, I think most of the witnesses made that case very well. Sondland, you know, I came off as hapless, frankly. But I don't, you know, even even some who were sympathetic to Trump said Sondland didn't do him any favors either. So yeah, I, you know, I think he, the case has been made. Yeah, he admitted the, the quid pro quo um, existed yes, at did. least, um, you know, and... It is very interesting, I think, you know, and to kind of answer the question I laid out to you is um, I think that what what was done um, violates um, maybe any not any specific laws, um, but it is definitely an abuse of power where you have a U.S. president who is willing to go after an individual American citizen um, in order to help him politically. And, and it's pretty clear that. Um, the president was in the know. Um, I think, you know, Sondland is basically saying that um, he he alluded that he didn't know that Burisma was tied to the Bidens, um, which Fiona Hill kind of negated and said, I doubt that, you know, he's just he's just saying that at this point. 
Um, uh, you know, the cover story was Barisma, but it was all just code for Biden. Um, you know, and and you know there is a an element of abuse of power there um, that I think you know should be uh, held up, um, and 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 that folks need to, especially you know the Congress people need to pay attention to. Um, as far as the the Republican talking points, um, you know Tucker Carlson did um, during the the you know the last past week, uh, the second week of public testimony, um, he did a show basically saying, well, the president um, should have made better relations with Putin and Russia because of all these reasons. So he's basically justifying um, kowtowing to Putin to uh, the Republican base. Um, and, you know, through it all, what he forgot to mention was, you know, uh, the, the huge land grab in the Crimea, um, what ended up happening there, um, what happens in Syria, what's happened all over, uh, you know, the interference in Brexit, interference in the 2016 election, uh, attempted, really attempted interference in 2018. Um, you know, this guy sees, you know, and, you know, when I say this guy, I'm specifically mentioning Putin, but what he he sees is that the Cold War is still going on. He's trying to bring down the West economically, politically, influence-wise, and and for us to um, as a country to kind of um, decide that we should you know get closer to him is something that hasn't been uh, you know that consensus hasn't been reached by our entire government and. Specifically to the, um, you know, when I when when I asked you, you know, the Republicans say the president, um, you know, creates foreign policy. He has the right to put in ambassadors. He has the right to change or have, uh, foreign policy. How he determines to do that, you know, while that is correct, we do live in a democracy, and you know, it is a Republican democracy, and there is a president, um, but the president doesn't have authoritarian power. He doesn't have unilateral power. And um, usually when you're wanting to fight corruption in a country, you don't fight you, or you don't fire our number one corruption ambassador, which was Jovanovic. Um, she's That's fought right. corruption all over the world. Um, and l- lately it's been Eastern Europe um, and specifically Ukraine. Um, so why would you get rid of her um, if, unless you want to actually become corrupt yourself? Um, and as far as the foreign policy goes and how close we get to Russia or what we allow them to do, um, that's still not usually and typically, whether people understand this or not, usually it's not the president just deciding that he's going to do X, Y, or Z. These are, you get information, um, you make, you take that information and you use it properly um, so you take the information that says, well, Russia did interfere in 2016. Russia did invade Crimea. Um, Russia is doing all these sorts of things. So then you decide, well, and national policy is decided on 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 those basis of that evidence instead of just saying, well, I want to get along with my friend and I don't really care what happens. It is not just a president deciding I want to do this. It's the entirety of the U.S. government. They're not, you know, there's... There's a reason why we have a bureaucracy, and it's not all bad, for sure. And and when you reach consensus, you know, you're always going to have dissension. Um, but it seems like the only person um, who's really trumpeting all this is Trump itself and the GOP enablers. 
Um, and so when you have everyone in the State Department, the intelligence community, a lot of folks in the military who, you know, all these people will obey orders. But when it comes to giving their input, they won't do that. Um, and, and it's become almost like the anti-Red Scare. You know, what they did to Vindman, um, you know, what they've tried to do to most of these witnesses, Jovanovic, all these people that have really served our country. You know, and Vindman said, that's your first time testifying before Congress. And he said, yeah, and hopefully the last. Um, you know, they don't want to be there. They don't want to do these things. They don't, this is not what they were called to do. Um, but as Vindman said, you know, it was his duty. He had to do what was right. It's America. You know, we do what's right and everything will work out in the end. Um, and, you know, I, it, it, it's, it's really, it becomes scary to me in a certain level where we're, you know, it seems like we have patriots like Vindman and Jovanovic and these others, um, a Hill even, you know, and some of them aren't even, uh, weren't even born here. Um, you know, and Hill really didn't even grow up here as Vindman had. Um, and I don't know if anybody, as an aside, I don't know if anybody saw, but he was in a Ken Burns documentary on the Statue of Liberty um, as a child, um, which was very interesting to see. Um, but uh, beyond that, um, that w- these people are being tarred and feathered by a political party that used to wrap themselves around the flag. And, and now I don't know what flag they're wrapping themselves around. And, and, and you know, I, it, it just seems like the case has been made, too. I, I, I see that the case has been made. I still don't think that anything is going to become of it. Um, I still, it seems like the Republicans are too, have their heels dug in too hard. Um, and, you know, even Will Hurd came out and said, well, yeah, well, this isn't acceptable. It shouldn't happen. But, you know, I don't see us being able to impeach the president. And, you know, and I understand that, too. But, um, you know, I think those who do see it the other way have to go forward. And um, unlike Clinton in 98, this is, um, you know, where it was a private, personal matter, whether, you know, whether you like the president having sex with an intern in the Oval Office or not, which I, per, you know, personally do not. Um it, it, it's a completely different case. Um, you know, we're dealing with national security. Um, we're dealing with somebody using a United States citizen um, or abusing their rights, I think. You know, you're trying to actually get them investigated by a foreign government. Um, and, you know, what it does to the, to the sovereignty and the independence of Ukraine, um, it really, lead, uh, you know, left them vulnerable. They say they're not um, but we know the position that they're in. Um, you know, really what happened in 2016, you know, I, you know, and I, I, I know I've been on my soapbox a long time here and I'm going to, you know, give you the floor again here in a second. But I think what's really funny here is that what really got Putin in such a bad mood and where he hated Hillary Clinton so much was the reaction when he invaded Crimea. And, and so, you know, Ukraine started all of this or that area started all of this and it's still not over um, because he wants to stay there. He wants to make sure that he never has to leave and no one's recognized that he should be there. And I think, you know, that the uh, five years later, he expected that it would just be um, accepted uh, as part of Russia and it's still not, it's, it's being held as it was taken. 
And, and he's been fighting that battle forever, um, you know, since that time. And really, they've been fighting it since 89, and they made the deal with the Russian nukes. But the Russians have never wanted to give up Ukraine, and they're still not done. And it's still part of the battle. And, you know, until we understand that we're in the middle of a, of a, of a Vladimir Putin disinformation uh, operation, I think the better that the United States will be and the American people will be in making their judgments uh, in 2019, 2020, and beyond. Yeah, no, you you said it better than I ever could. Um, I mean, back to Fiona Hill for a moment. To be, you know, a British foreign who's a nonpartisan Russia expert, who's also written a book about Putin. I mean, she made you know an incredibly compelling argument about Russia being, unfortunately, now a danger to this country. I'm not talking about every single Russian person. Um, sure. At all, that's not fair to tar the entire country with that. Just the government, the government that's itself, run, yeah, the government that's run by basically, you know, uh, former KGB people. That's right. Somebody who, and this has been documented, uh, you know, back in 1989, excuse me, now we're going 30 years ago when the Berlin Wall came down and you could already, there was just so much incredible change happening in what had been the Eastern Bloc. And Vladimir Putin didn't like that. And, of course, two years later, the Soviet Union more or less ended. Uh, although I you know, still argue today, sadly, it exists in one sense and that it still regards us as an adversary that has to be destroyed from within. As Nikita Khrushchev once famously said uh, to a bunch of American journalists. Um, so it's, you know, she made this incredibly compelling case, you know, basically that we're involved in. You know, being involved in national security foreign policy and dealing with Sondland, who was involved in a domestic political era errand, mm-hmm. more or less, mm-hmm. um, you know, that this was a problem. And she knew it. You know, she basically she slammed fictional conspiracy theories that Ukraine had meddled in the U.S. election. And I know we're going to talk about that in a moment or two. Um, and basically, Sondland. You know, it was overheard in a phone call in July. As I already said about Trump, he didn't give a crap about Ukraine. He just wanted this country to cough up an investigation. And frankly, I don't even think he cared all that much if that was started. Now, we know his errand boy, you know, we know who that is, is going to do it for him. But I don't think he really cared about doing an investigation. It was just making it public so this could embarrass Biden and take him down in the eyes of voters. Yeah, and that's the, basically it. And, 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 and given how Trump operates, you have to believe that. Sorry. Yeah, no, and, and you know, I just wanted to add. It, it also had a big thing. Uh, you know, a big part of it was to justify that Russia didn't really meddle; that it was Ukraine all along, and that nobody helped him. And that you know, it's 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 all of this Donald Trump. He's still fighting twenty sixteen where. They know that it wasn't CrowdStrike. It, it really was the Russians, and everyone has agreed to that. And and you still have, uh, you know, I saw uh, 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 John Kennedy from Louisiana um, on one of the Sunday morning shows, and they uh, 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 Chris Wallace asked him directly, do you think it was Ukraine or Russia? And Kennedy says, I don't know. And, you know, everyone else seems to know, unless you're a partisan hack for the Republican Party— you seem to understand this. Um, I guess they have evidence. Uh, Mueller, others say that it's undoubtable. And of course, I don't know this. I haven't haven't I haven't seen the top secret information. I just have to trust that the entirety of the intelligence community isn't wrong. Uh, 
And I think we have to trust that too. And I think that that's also part of the um, gray area that the uh, GOP is living in at this point because it's top secret, because they know that this information can't be made public because we will violate uh, agreements and we will expose these people that give us this information. Um, Because of all of that, um, they have this gray area where they can live in and say, well, it could be Ukraine. They said it clearly isn't. Um, and, and this is the intelligence community. And I, again, I don't know. I haven't seen it. No one's really seen it. But it's, 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 it's understood that that's the way it is. And only Trump and his partisan defenders are the only ones that saying it could be anything else. And it's about the Bidens, but it's also about justifying 2016 and moving forward in 2020 if anything happens with the Russians. Again, they'll say, well, they didn't do it in 2016, just like they said it was them in 2016. It really was Ukraine, and that's the case. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's severely troubling. I really think it's unpatriotic. It's, it's not supporting our, our own country, and I don't know how these, um, you know, it, 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 is, it, is, it is crazy to me. If anyone would have told me um, 10 years ago that the GOP would be defending um, Russia and criticizing our own util- our own intelligence community i would never have believed it never and 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 but unfortunately that's where we are yeah i mean in part you know one of the reasons and this is something you don't see a lot of reporting on but the gop is simply reflecting its voting base and the voting base likes russia because it is and I am not talking about every single Republican. Okay, let's make that clear. Exactly. I'm talking about right. the hardcore support around Trump, yeah, which that... is still very much a minority in this country. Yeah, his but they defenders. like Russia because it is mostly white. It is Christian, even though it used to be, quote-unquote, communist. And, and those are the two main reasons. And also because, you know, gay people don't have any rights there. And I mean, also, I'm sorry to break it down into yeah, but, that, but yeah, that's but, basically what it is. How would it's not you because th- they give a damn about Russian culture or tradition or the fact that the country, which we know now sadly to be a lie, you know, moved away from communism into a freer democratic government. They couldn't care less about any of that. Yeah. How would you feel but, about... You, know, you won't hear Lindsey Graham say that. Yeah. So. And, and, and do you think they also just like the authoritarian nature, some of these folks? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. Because unfortunately, yeah, the people who support Trump, by and large, again, they do not, I don't think they care for democracy, particularly as far as they're concerned, it's failed. A lot of them are scared to death because they know this country is changing demographically. They don't like, you know, that it's becoming less white. I mean, again, I, John, you know, we can't fix that. These are viewpoints these people have, and they have every First Amendment right to do so. And they vote. They vote as a block and they show up. This is something progressives don't always do. Uh, I find it somewhat annoying at times to listen to some people on the left complain about this situation. And I think, did you show up and vote in 2010? No, you didn't. Did you show up in 2014? No, you didn't. Did you show up enough in 2016 so Hillary Clinton would have won the Electoral College outright and be president today, even though we all know it wouldn't be sunshine and roses for her either? albeit probably for different reasons, not because she's a corrupt monster in the way Donald Trump is. But no, they didn't. We all know what happened that year. And I I just, again, I I think, I don't know, I'm trying to put this together in one argument. It's just, you know, there's got to be a maturity and a more cohesive thought process in terms of how people, especially if they're really in an ideological camp, 
see governance and, and see the importance of voting. Um, and I'm not, you know, we're not in that stage right now in this country. You have, you know, and that's where there's more and more of a greater concern. I think a growing anger among people not in the Trump bubble about, you know, we're being governed by a minority. And, and I'm not talking about a racial or ethic. I'm talking about a group of voters who do not view governance or democracy in any kind of healthy or constructive way. That is a big problem. Um, and I, I just think, unfortunately, that's why you have Lindsey Graham now, it, indirectly, now basically sending a letter to Mike Pompeo, who's in a whole lot of trouble himself right now, basically wanting documents related to Joe Biden and, and in, you know, his son, Hunter, who, who is on the board of Burisma. And I, you and I have said this before, never a good idea for any politician's child to join any kind of, you know, former Eastern Bloc or former Russian financial institution. Don't do it. Don't ever do it. Um, and if this is basically saying, you know, what, what Graham's doing is an attempt to just basically defend Trump. He's not interested, frankly, in getting to the truth of this either. And, and you mentioned something about the Senate and in regards to allegations of Ukrainian meddling versus Russian interference, et cetera, so forth. You know, they've had, they've had an investigation on this now for nearly two and a half years and I know Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat of Virginia, has said, you know, they're close to finishing this up. You know, John, I don't know about you, but it sure seems to me if they had real evidence Ukraine had done anything wrong, wouldn't they have produced that by uh, now? Yeah. That's a question I'd love to pose to Senator Graham. And I'm curious why. Have you heard a reporter asking that? Why don't you guys pony up the information now? If you've got real evidence, produce it. And yeah. they've yet to do that, which oh, I think yeah. is quite telling. Yeah, and then, you know, we know that they've been trying. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, not just uh, Graham, but also Nunes and others, uh, as came out at the end of the public testimony, um, it was that Nunes was also over there with uh, Fruman and Parnas trying to get some information on what happened. Um, you know, whether right. it was, um, you know, CrowdStrike, whether it was um, yeah, uh, Burisma and the Bidens, um, but they were you know, doing that. It seems like, um, you know, you know, they, you know, the statement that Trump made, I can shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue um, and they wouldn't care. And it seems like what they're talking about isn't it just his supporters. It's now um, Republican members of Congress. Um, it, it, I don't even know whether whether they would try to impeach him for that. And I know that it's a strange thing to say. And even sa saying it, it sounds incredulous. But um, really, how can you be so dismissive of everything that happens? We know in the public testimony, everything that came up wasn't about what actually happened. It was, well, what about this? What about Burisma? What about the Bidens? What about everything else? Well, and, you know, very little bit. The only case they have is that the president gets to make this foreign policy. But he also doesn't get to, you know, disregard Congress. Um, do you Absolutely. think the Nunes compromise thing goes anywhere? Um, because they were talking about shift testifying, and I think that this is where it comes up. I think the you know the Republicans have to drop that whole shift thing, which I think they have once they realize that. Well, then we'll then we'll call Nunes. Well, right. I mean, look, Devin Nunes has been a problem since 2017. He's been one of the biggest cheerleaders for Donald Trump in Congress. He was the chair of the House. If I'm, unless I'm wrong, he was the former House Judiciary Committee chairman. Um, 
never mind the little weird midnight Uber runs he did to the White House about two years ago to basically feed information to Donald Trump about what was going on when you know the Russian investigation was going to begin. Um, he certainly did himself no favors during these hearings in the last two weeks. He came off as a clod, and, and I'm sorry, just as a complete and utter partisan hack. Who, and frankly, again, he didn't really help Trump. If that was the goal, he failed. Um, and other, so there's just a, and then there's now these allegations about whether or not he went to Vienna to again to help dig up dirt on Joe Biden. And I'm thinking, what on earth is a single Republican or Democrat or any congressman? I don't care what party doing this for. This is not something I think their voters would want them to do. It's not something that we as a taxpayer should be paying for. Um, you know, you you mentioned this, and I just think we should mention that. Giuliani's associate, we, and we know these guys' names now, Lev Parnas, and the other one who's, I can't remember his name at the moment. I'm sorry, guys. I, th- I think it's uh, an Igor Furman. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, Spasiva, as they'd say in <laughs> Russian. Um, you know, they're in a lot of trouble for their own role. And, and we've since learned, without getting too crazy here, that they had gone to a Hanukkah party at the White House. And the supposed claim is they were going to do this as some sort of James Bond-like mission. For the Trump administration, I, again, I'm, you're just your head just swims when you think about how insane this all is. Yeah, and, and it, of course, one of the other, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to agree with you, and and just to say that, you know, it kind of goes back to what we talked about before that the United States government is a large bureaucracy, not an autocracy, and that we have people to do certain things. And the reason why Nunes and Graham or Trump or Giuliani. Usually we have a institution that can do these things to tell us what's going on. Um, we're the you know most powerful country in the world. We have the largest bureaucracy. Those people go and find things out, and they when they are nonpartisan and when they um, are in these positions, they're supposed to give us the best information in order to make policy. And then when you have to go outside of that, and you have to have a congressman who is just basically a water carrier. Uh, which what is Nunez? Which what Nunez is, and you have him going out there. It's because the regular folks, these people that are nonpartisan, will say the evidence isn't there. Well, that's right. And another thing I just want to mention about Devin Nunez, and this is an older story, that he took money for one of his packs and basically spent it on himself, a la like Duncan Hunter, who's in a lot of trouble here mm-hmm. in the San Diego area for similar allegations. He's on trial for it. Nunez has not been charged with anything. But, you know, he spent money like on a fancy nightclub in Washington and other things. I find it very ironic that somebody who supposedly represents, quote unquote, the common man, you know, the anti-liberal elite voters is doing stuff like this. That's just a that's just an aside. But I think it just shows you the kind of double standard of people like Devin Nunez and, the you know, the voters they claim not the voters are hypocritical, but the, they're hypocritical in representing these people. Um, but, you know, I, I think also another name that needs to be mentioned here, John, of course, is Rudy Giuliani, uh, because he's deeply involved in this mess now, too. Um, and, you know, Parnas, we were talking about him. He wants to testify to Congress that basically Nunez called, up, uh, called off a trip to Ukraine this year because he realized they'd be required to notify Democratic Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. I mean, you know, again, you think, what are they doing going to the, you know, Ukraine in the first place? I, I guess the purpose was to interview two Ukrainian prosecutors who claim that they have the evidence that could help 
Donald Trump's re-election campaign, which again, highly inappropriate. I, regardless of who the president is, they should not be doing things like that. Um, and and uh, you know, to play the what about game, John, we all know how the Republicans would have reacted if Barack Obama had been accused of one one thousandth of what Donald Trump is. I think President Obama would have been impeached and removed from office within a three-month period. So, you know, this is just extraordinarily seedy and awful and terrible. Um, and I, you know, it will be interesting, I think, if Parnas does testify. I, I, you know, we don't know for sure if that's going to happen. Yeah. As you mentioned, the House is, you know, they still may do more hearings. This is, you know, and they, they frankly should if it warrants it. So I, again, this is just this all extraordinary, albeit in a bad way. Yeah, and you know, like we had talked about, now we have the Thanksgiving holiday um, for people to discuss right. these things at home. And I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussions going on and, you know, time for people to really, we'll see what happens when everyone comes back on Monday, whether that energy is there, whether whether more people have jumped off. I, I You know, I really, we're going to see what's going to happen here in the next uh, uh, two to yeah. four weeks. and. I, I guess you know it's like it's like everything else. Buckle in and 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 we'll see what happens. Um, yep. If you're ready, you know I, you know we 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 could we could probably talk impeachment for an hour, but let's um, go on to our next yes, topic here um, with uh, you know the Gallagher issue. Um, this is you know a case that's been you know kind of simmering all summer. Um, so. Here we have Edward R. Gallagher, known as Eddie Gallagher. Um, uh, he was a, or still is a Navy SEAL. Um, he was accused of multiple offenses during his final deployment uh, to Iraq uh, and during the Battle of Mosul. Supposedly, um, he there was a captured um, ISIS soldier, some young man, and he killed him with his hunting knife, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, what he was first charged with. Um then there was all kinds of, of, of issues with the trial. Um, seemed like there was a, he became a darling of a lot of conservatives, uh, Duncan Hunter, um, conservative media. Um, then the trial was ended and um, he was found not guilty um, of murder um, when one of the medics came out, said that he did stab him, but um, the medic... Uh, covered his breathing tube and asphyxiated him. Um, and this was uh, Special Operator First Class Corey Scott, who testified under an immunity agreement. Um, but he was acquitted on six of seven charges on July 2nd. Um, they found him guilty of the seventh charge, wrongfully posing for an unofficial picture with a human casualty. Right. Um, although he did, he did stab... Um, um, you know, the guy after he was down on the ground, supposedly he, um, let's see, uh, da, 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 da. Um, one of the, the original Navy prosecutor, Chris Saplack, said, quote, Chief Gallagher decided to act like a monster the terrorists accuse us of being. He handed ISIS propaganda mana from heaven. His, con- his actions are everything ISIS says we are. Um, but he's been since... Um, you know, again, uh, Duncan Hunter, some of the others, um, have, have, have ended up, um, you know, defending him, um, so far that they won't even let, um, the SEALs, uh, handle this themselves. Um, 
There is a, um, it, it came from um, everyone within, I mean, this is coming from within the Navy. This is not, you know, uh, a left-wing conspiracy, but they wanted to continue to investigate him and see whether they wanted to allow him to stay a SEAL when he at least even had posed um, with the guy and gave mana from heaven, quote-unquote, from the original prosecutor. Um, and there was all kinds of irregularities in the case, of course, but just more, um, you know, situations where, you know, they sent an email that they could track people. Um, it doesn't really change the the contents of the case, which is what he had done. Uh, somebody was captured. He tried to kill him with a knife. He only didn't get um, uh, convicted of murder because somebody else supposedly admitted to asphyxiating him um, with his breathing tube. Um, but they know that, you know, you know, that's where they were. The case was where it was. Um, then the SEALs wanted to go to take away, or, you know, the the uh, Rear Admiral Colin Green, the commander of the SEALs, um, didn't, he was worried about the Gallagher effect on troop culture, um, supposedly according to what was uh, reported in the USA Today. Um, and they wanted to uh, talk about revoking his Trident pin. Um Trump said no, um, and so then here we are. Uh, the under the Secretary of the Navy, um, Richard V. Spencer, is was fired on Sunday, uh, November twenty fourth, and uh, you know I guess you know this is a case. It seems like politics gone amok. Um, kind of you know uh, I guess you know are overseeing our military, um, you know. There's no internal. Again, we go back to the situation that we are not in our, you know, an autocratic government. We usually let our bureaucracy do its work. Um, if if Trump would have cared later and he wanted to do whatever he had to do, um, that's even somewhat more understandable. But it seems like he's just saying, I don't even want this to be heard. I'm the president. I'm going to do whatever I want, even if the SEALs themselves, which I say that because of you know, it really comes from, um, you know, the uh, you know Rear Admiral Colin Green, the commander of the SEALs. He was the one that was kind of pushing for this for this hearing to find out whether he keeps his Trident pin. And Trump says no. I mean, this is not again some left wing, you know, uh, anti war organization here. We're talking about the commander of the SEALs, a Rear Admiral, wanted to do this, and 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 Trump basically overruled him and said no. Um, you know. It, it, it just smacks of what we don't want to be as a country, as far as I'm concerned. Are you seeing this the same way? And are there any other elements of this of this I, situation that stand no, out to you, you? You make a lot of good points here, John. And I, number one, it should be, maybe you already mentioned this, but Gallagher's, many people in Gallagher's unit reported him because they right. were so shocked by what he did. Right. And let's face it, these are people also who like him. They're probably not liberal, and that's fine. But so they, because they cared enough about the honor of the Navy SEALs, about, about what was right, that they told their supervisor. Um, and I, I, you know, supposedly the defense secretary, Mark Esper, who I, you know, I, you know I'm sorry, I just, he fails to, I think, impressed much of anybody in terms of his job performance so far. 
Um, this guy came from the defense industry, by the way, mm-hmm. but said he was flabbergasted to discover that Spencer had reportedly been working with a White House back channel to resolve the standoff. Again, highly ironic given, as we know, certain people working with Trump have used their own quote unquote back channels to formulate policy. But I'm not saying Hesper's done this, but again, kind of amusing to me. Um, I, you know, John, I have an observation about this. During the Bush era, when, you know, especially when the Iraq War, the whole thing was starting to really unravel, and you had, you had members of the Marine Corps and other, from other branches of the military face war crime trials. Some of them were found guilty and some of them weren't. I'm trying to think of any of those soldiers who, after they were acquitted, were, behaved themselves in the way that Gallagher is doing. Most of them, I think, would prefer to have just gone back into private life, try, you know, not to minimize the severity of the crimes with which they are charged or, you know, as we know, some of these were very gray areas and extraordinarily disturbing. Um, but again, they tried to go back to private life and just not seek out the spotlight. And they certainly weren't bad-mouthing their superiors. Mm-hmm. Gallagher is doing that. He just he's he's acting just extraordinarily cocky. I, and I think again, yeah, well, just, you know, he's got the politicians, the, the seals. Yeah, you know, he's got the politicians in his pocket, and that's and that's where I guess you know you know we talked about the details, but where where this becomes you know a greater issue is that you know you have to let that bureaucracy do its job in order to correct um, allow the chain of command and for folks to you know operate within that system you have to obey orders and you have to do what's right and you know i think when we get to that point i mean and that's why you know when spencer um, uh, gave acknowledgement that he was fired um he just said i can't i can't do this anymore basically you know paraphrasing for him um but you can't allow a individual soldier to think well i'll get my um, my Congress people, I'll get people to to start to step up for me. Then what happens? Then these guys are, you know, lone cowboys running out in the field because they have political cover. Um, you know, I don't. That's not the way I want the military in the United States to operate, and I don't think that anyone else does either. Um, you know, uh, you know, disclaimer: never, never. I was never in a, any military branch. Um, just because I like to have my own my own opinions. Um, if I had to, if I ever got drafted, I would I would obey the orders, or I, I you know, because that's where I'm at. I, I understand that position. Um, you can't. We. I don't. You know. I, I just think it's a horrible precedent to send uh, to set. Just like everything else that's happened in the Trump administration, there there just seems to be. You know, a, a a weakening of the United States, uh, of our conventions, our traditions, what made us great and strong, um, is that when a soldier does something wrong, um, he has to pay for it just like everybody else. Um, and, you know, now we live in a time where it's, well, if you're in power, you win. And that was one of the things why we, you know, the United States was that, you know, shining light on a hill. Um, and... Um, you know, you mentioned again, you know, what um, uh, uh, Khrushchev said. And, you know, you have to think about it. They're trying, you know, there are folks out there that are trying to destroy us from the inside, whether it comes from Russia or not. 
it's just that feeling. It's what we do, you know, and it, what Jefferson said, and every democracy is only as strong as the generation um, that, that, that executes it. And, and I, I just think what's happened and what's, the, you know, the legacy of Trump is that we have a lot of healing to do, a lot of recovery to do. But at the same time, I have faith, as I always do, that 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 strife causes better things and that, you know, moving forward, we won't see a president that hasn't been um, hasn't served in the past. We won't see people um, going out of the bureaucracy. We won't see people that say everything needs to be blown up and thrown away. Um, you know, that Republican argument has been f- arguing for a autocratic government. And, and now that it's there. It's you know you know to me it's a nightmare from you know for, for everybody and I think we're going to see that in the 2020 elections because whether um, you know Trump is impeached or not I don't see his, uh, you know a path to victory no matter who the Democratic candidate is. Well, I mean you, you know, know I know I digress from I know I digress from Gallagher. No, and but, I apologize. But no, look, Trump. No, that's all right. Look, Donald Trump. I've said it before, and I'll keep on saying he that he is a cancer on this country, period, end of story, end of sentence. He is a corrosive, venal, self-absorbed, I'm sorry, he's just, he's a bad person, period. You know, we've had presidents who are bad, George W. Bush being the last example, but Bush was not a bad person, but isn't one still. And I don't recall him interfering in these types of war crimes-related issues either, and again, we can. If Gallagher was deployed five times, we, we've already seen, unfortunately, what you know numerous deployments can do to somebody in uniform. Um, I'm sure that didn't help his state of mind. Still, doesn't excuse his actions. Um, and let's not kid ourselves. George W. Bush is why 18 years later, you know, we still have military over there, and we still have these kinds of things happen because of is extraordinarily bad decision to send us over to Iraq. Um, that being said, you do have concerns, I do, for the men and women in uniform who are in the Middle East right now, because once word gets back to the greater Middle Eastern you know, world about Gallagher, what kind of impression is that going to make on the part of people there and the, kind, the way they view the military? Uh, yeah, you know, this, again, this is very troubling. And, and Trump basically did this more or less because of a, a Fox News analyst, Pete Hegseth, who really started, you know, uh, making the case for Gallagher some months ago. I don't yeah. think Donald Trump would have given it again, not cared one way or the other. Because right. he, you know, he doesn't care about the military. He doesn't know anything about it, as you said. He doesn't know anything about the SEALs. Um, so, again, this was based on what a TV you know, a TV person said. Yeah, you know, I. This you is know, how bad it is. He 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 just wants them to be tough. He just wants things to, um, you know, to be done that way. And again, it it just it it destroys the norms of of what we do. And as you, as you say, um, you know, typically, presidents and politicians would leave the military to handle their own discipline. Um, I know the president is the commander in chief. Um, but he knows that he's a political operator, and they would let the internal, the rear admirals, the generals handle their own business. Um, you know, and if later he wanted to do a pardon, you know, you let the dust settle and you deal with it. You know, you know, six months to a year later, you know, maybe he took care of him. 
Um, you know, if he wanted Gallagher, you know, at this point, you know, they're worried about his pension. You know, he's writing a book and probably getting a movie made anyway. Um, you know, he's already done enough in the PR realm, which he shouldn't have done in the first place. Um, he can't really be a seal anymore anyway, cause he's too, he's too publicly known. And as we know, you know, people like seals to be, um, uh, anonymous and, um, you know, I don't know. It just, none of it makes any sense. It does seem like it was the, it was a very appropriate or easy way for Trump to kind of rail to his base again about the left. Um, even when it's not there that's all it and, was. and, you know, I mean, even when that's not even true, because again, this is not the left going after Gallagher. This is, um, the Navy, um, you know, it's a rear admiral, you know, I, I, I don't think he's a left wing anti-war sympathizer. I just, you know, I mean, call me crazy, but I don't think a rear admiral who's a commander of the seals is a, uh, you know, a, a, you know, somebody who's out to get a seal guy, unless he thinks that there's something that needs to be dealt with, you know, you know, I mean, again, it's like it's like saying that, uh, you know, a police chief who's investigating his people is doing something wrong. It just doesn't make any sense. And the base, again, it can be manipulated in any way. And that's I think, you know, that's why Gallagher case and impeachment are are, are so similar because it's it's just, you know, folks saying this isn't the way it should be. This is the way we want it to be. And we're going to, you know, we, we're going to destroy convention. We're going to destroy anything else because we, we, you know, we want to just do it this way. And, you know, again, you know, can you justify murder? Um, you know, is it still murder? Yeah. You know, when someone gives up and he's in custody and you stab him, um, you know, that's, that's at least attempted murder. There were so many issues with that whole case that, you know, it, it, it was what it was. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's become a political football and something that never should have happened. Um, you know, we but we can talk about the, uh, you know, where democracy is being attacked here. Um, it's also being attacked in Hong Kong. And um, those folks turned out in the polls in record numbers and said, we want democracy. Um, and China, again, is, is ruling um, and saying and reminding everybody, well, you can you can vote all you want, but we're still going to do what we want in Hong Kong. Um you know, and it brings me back to, you know, what happened in the handover. Um, it brings me back to just that whole idea and that deal that was made um, seemed to make no sense at the time. And it seems like, you know, those 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 misplaced, um, you know, deals um, have come to roost. Now, at the same time, I don't know whether there was a better solution, um, you know, and I'm not really, you know, uh, you know, criticizing those folks. There was a situation there where, you know, the governments had changed. There was a city that was supposedly able to be ruled by the British government. Times changed. Cultures changed. Uh, that wasn't going to be able to be, um, you know, held on to for a long time. They probably would have lost uh, Hong Kong forcibly at different times or it would have been cut off or another controversy would have happened. But, um, you know, like we had talked about, those people were basically Westerners living in the middle of China. Um, and now they're supposed to be Chinese again. And, and when I say that, I mean um, kowtowing to the authoritarian government. Um, and, you know, it's it seems like even with this win, um, and it, it's, it's like there's not going to be an end to this because China's not going to give up its sovereignty. They're not going to give up its ability to really enforce whatever they want to enforce. And, 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 and these people aren't going to give up democracy. Um, the only way it seems like it, it, it might end at any point in time is if, China becomes democratic. Um, and so I guess my, you know, before, you know, I'll let you kind of, you know, give your two cents on the situation. But I guess the big question that I'm having is, 
you know, could this be, you know, could could this keep being a a motivating factor for seeing some some fu- you know fundamental change spread throughout the nation in China? You know, we can only hope. I mean, I I think without question, for reasons you've already mentioned, in Hong Kong, long has a tradition of you know small d democracy. You and again, you have an educated group of people living there. Who and, and many of them coming from you know, different parts of the world, but they've long been in Hong Kong, raised children there, you know, have, you know, be they of, of uh, you know, Chinese background or not. And, and that, you know, Hong Kong has long been this huge economic engine uh, for China and, and for Asia in general. Um, I, I think between, you know, Hong Kong trying to put a very heavy hand, or not Hong Kong, I'm sorry, the Chinese government applying too heavy a hand into recent, you know, public policy there, which spurred all the protests, uh, you know, that was an incredible symbol. And there's no question it affected, I think, the turnout and the result. Um, You know, China obviously has issued a warning to Hong Kong over this, but you've got to wonder whether or not, say, Xi Jinping and other Chinese leaders don't understand kind of the delicate balance they have there in Hong Kong and in terms of the economic benefits. And it perhaps it's better just to leave Hong Kong as it is. You know, China can have its quasi totalitarian uh, or totalitarian, excuse me, I messed that word up, you know, government on the mainland, but to leave an area alone where democracy and basic freedoms have been the norm for decades. Um, I think it was some, John, I think it was some very good news in what has otherwise been, as we know, yet another difficult month for the world, not just for nation. Um, And I I think it's another example, too, of when people show up, when they push back, when they protest peacefully, and above all, when they vote, you know, good things can happen. Now, does this mean that Hong Kong will forever be free and democratic, even though it's technically not that, but not democratic, but no, there's no guarantee of that. But for now, and this was a compelling response to the Chinese government. And it's a lesson for everyone that again, when people show up, they win. And, you know, that's all for the good most of the time, sometimes not, but I certainly in Hong Kong, it was. Yeah. Um, any support, you know, I, I, I still don't see it being on top of mind for most people. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, Trump was saying, I, I, as far as I know, off the top of my head, I think we, t- we you know, I think the last time I looked was earlier today. There hadn't been any um, uh, idea that he was going to sign um, the support for the folks in Hong Kong. Um, it makes it a lot difficult, a lot more difficult when he's battling this trade deal. Um, you know, whether Trump would do the right thing or not. Um, but it's, you know, there has to be some some issues going on with and, and, and how we deal with supporting this moving forward. And again, a trade deal, uh, a trade war does nothing but weaken your position. Um, the trade deal was a bad idea to begin with. It hasn't given any results. We've talked about it on this podcast before that the, uh, the TPP was probably the best way to try to really kind of deal with uh, China's uh, uh, hegemony in the, in the, in the far East. Um, m- you know, but there's not going to be a solution here as long as the trade deal is in place. Um, we can't really do anything um, 
in worries of blowing up the trade deal even worse. And um, we know that that you know the Chinese government is basically waiting out, going, okay, I got 12 months more of Trump. We're going to string him along. And then we'll see what the real reality is after that. And they'll either make a deal after 2020, but the deal is not going to be any greater than probably the deal they could have gotten uh, in 2017. Um, and, you know, Trump will claim a victory, of course, if he's still there. Uh, but the results will be that we're still where we were before and we're going to need a TPP to move forward or something like it. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It's a... I wish more people would be paying attention to Hong Kong, I guess, is my ultimate point on that. Right. I, although I do think, John, I do think worldwide the protests in Hong Kong did make an impact. Um, I, I, again, I certainly think it, it sort of has placed China in this awkward position. And, you know, we'll, we'll only have to see how the Chinese government responds in the long run. I certainly think, don't expect Donald Trump to do the right thing. Look what he did to the the, Kurd- the Kurdish people. I, again, he didn't give a damn about the people in Hong Kong. Uh, and you, you said it better than I could. The Chinese are displaying him like the buffoon he is because they know they can. So, I, again, I, you know, the people of Hong Kong are not out of the woods in any way, shape, or form. But this was a victory. And, you know... It, it just again example it just it, it poses a good example of what happens when people show up and are organized so I, I say we you know be grateful for this but also understand that you know fighting for democracy and freedom um, you know it's not an easy thing and just a protest doesn't you know that's not always the answer either Karen, again, thanks for another wonderful political discussion today. Um, a lot of great insights from you, um, as always. Um, want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, whether you've had it uh, already or whether you're approaching the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, just want to say um, you and yours are doing well, and thank you, Karen. Thank you, and, and happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. May it be a wonderful and peaceful time for you and your family and uh just don't overdo it on the pumpkin pie too much <laughs> yeah well, i'm more of an apple pie or, guy but or go ahead and overdo I think, it <laughs> i think i'm gonna overdo it for sure anyway thanks again you're Karen. welcome to it thanks again everybody for listening we'll talk at you next time bye-bye